J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 29 Fasting and Wineskins Luke chapter 5 verses 33 through 39 And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, The old is better. We should observe in these verses that men may disagree on the lesser points of religion while they agree on its weightier matters. We have this brought out in the alleged difference between the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Christ. The question was put to our Lord, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but why do your disciples go on eating and drinking? We cannot suppose that there was any essential difference between the doctrines held by these two parties of disciples. The teaching of John the Baptist was doubtless clear and explicit upon all the main points necessary to salvation. The man who could say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was not likely to teach his followers anything contrary to the gospel. His teaching, of course, lacked the fullness and perfection of his divine master's teaching, but it is absurd to suppose that it contradicted it. Nevertheless, there were points of practice on which his disciples differed from those of Christ. Agreeing, as they doubtless did, about the necessity of repentance and faith and holiness, they disagreed about such matters as fasting, eating and drinking, and manner of public devotion. One in heart and hope and aim, as they were about the weightier matters of inward religion, they were not entirely of one mind about secondary outward matters. We must make up our minds to see differences of this kind among Christians as long as the world stands. We may much regret them because of the handle they give to an ignorant and prejudiced world, but they will exist. They are one of the many evidences of our fallen condition. About church government, about the manner of conducting public worship, about fasts and feasts and ceremonials, Christians have never been entirely of one mind, even from the days of the apostles. On all these points, the holiest and ablest servants of God have arrived at different conclusions. Argument, reasoning, persuasion, persecution have all alike proved unable to produce unity. Let us, however, bless God that there are many points on which all true servants of God are thoroughly agreed. About sin and salvation, about repentance and faith and holiness, 
There is a mighty unity among all believers of every name and nation and people and tongue. Let us make much of these points in our own personal religion. These, after all, are the principal things which we shall think of in the hour of death and the day of judgment. On other matters we must agree to differ. It will signify little at the last day what we thought about fasting and eating and drinking and ceremonies. Did we repent and bring forth fruits fit for repentance? Did we behold the Lamb of God by faith and sincerely receive Him as our Saviour? All of every church who are found right on these points will be saved. All of every church who are found wrong on these points will be lost forevermore. We should observe, secondly, in these verses, the name by which our Lord Jesus Christ speaks of himself. Twice he calls himself the Bridegroom. The name Bridegroom, like every name applied to our Lord in the Bible, is full of instruction. It is a name particularly comforting and encouraging to all true Christians. It teaches the deep and tender love with which Jesus regards all sinners who believe in him. Weak and unworthy and shortcoming as they are in themselves, he feels towards them a tender affection, even as a husband does towards his wife. The name Bridegroom teaches the close and intimate union which exists between Jesus and believers. It is something far nearer than the union of king and subject, master and servant, teacher and scholar, shepherd and sheep. It is the closest of all unions, the union of husband and wife, the union of which it is written, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Above all, the name teaches that entire participation of all that Jesus is and has, which is the privilege of every believer. Just as the husband gives to his wife his name, makes her partaker of his property, home and dignity, and undertakes all her debts and liabilities, so does Christ deal with all true Christians. He takes on himself all their sins. He declares that they are a part of himself, and that he who hurts them hurts him. He gives them, even in this world, such good things as surpass man's understanding, and he promises that in the next world they shall sit with him on his throne and never leave his presence forever. If we know anything of true and saving religion, then let us often rest our souls on this name and office of Christ. Let us remember daily that the weakest of Christ's people are cared for with a tender care that surpasses knowledge, and that whoever hurts them is hurting the apple of Christ's eye. In this world we may be poor and contemptible and laughed at because of our religion, but if we have saving faith, then we are precious in the sight of Christ. The bridegroom of our soul will one day plead our cause before the whole world. We should observe lastly in these verses how gently and tenderly Christ would have his people deal with young and inexperienced Christians. 
He teaches us this by two parables drawn from the affairs of daily life. He shows the folly of sewing new cloth on an old garment, or of putting new wine into old wineskins. In the same way, he would have us know that there is a lack of harmony between a new dispensation and an old one. It is vain to expect those who have been trained and taught under one system to become immediately used to another system. On the contrary, they must be led on by degrees and taught as they are able to bear. The lesson is one which all true Christians would do well to lay to heart, and none perhaps so much as Christian ministers and Christian parents. Forgetfulness of it often does much harm to the cause of truth. The hard judgments and unreasonable expectations of old disciples have often driven back and discouraged young believers in the school of Christ. Let us settle it in our minds that grace must have a beginning in every believer's heart, and that we have no right to say a man has no grace because it does not come to full ripeness at once. We do not expect a child to do the work of a full-grown man, though he may one day, if he lives long enough. In the same way, we must not expect a new disciple of Christ to show the faith and love and knowledge of an old soldier of the cross. He may by and by become a mighty champion of the truth, but at first we must give him time. There is a great need of wisdom in dealing with young people about religion, and generally speaking with all young disciples. Kindness and patience and gentleness are of the first importance. We must not try to pour in the new wine too quickly, or it will ruin the wineskins. We must take them by the hand and lead them on gently. We must be aware of frightening or hurrying them or pressing them on too fast. If they have only got hold of the main principles of the gospel, then let us not set them down as godless because of a few lesser matters. We must bear with much weakness and infirmity and not expect to find old heads on young shoulders or ripe Christian experience in those who are only babes. There was deep wisdom in Jacob's saying, If they are driven hard just one day, all the flock will die. Genesis chapter 33, verse 13. <laughs> 